to episode four of Beyond the Lectern. I'm Molly Dollinger. And I'm Jason Lodge. And in this episode, we spoke to Professor Laurie Lockyer. Laurie is the Dean of the Graduate Research School at the University of Technology, Sydney. Today, we're discussing design for learning. And just so you know, Laurie had a bit of a cold, so she sounds a little bit different than usual. Okay. Laurie, welcome. Um, thank Thanks, you for Jason. agreeing to be on the podcast. Pleasure so, to be here. Great. Um, so we're talking about learning design. Um, and we're talking about this book chapter that you uh, wrote a couple of years ago now. So in it, you talked about learning design emerging sort of you know, early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So what brought you to this area? Yeah, um, so I guess I was working in uh, higher education and I was particularly interested in coming out of my PhD, coming at, which looked at using technologies, online technologies to support particularly health education in higher education. So I was really coming out from that experience of looking at what could, can work with you in terms of using technology to facilitate um, education and sort of concurrently around the world people were interested in how to effectively use technology for high quality higher education. And so I kind of was lucky in that um, there was a lot of that activity going on at the university I was working at at the time, the University of Wollongong, and uh, some collaborators there were working with people at other universities around Australia um, to see what the possibilities were about sharing sharing practice, which essentially is what um, the learning design field came, came from. Okay. To those that are new in learning design yeah. and technology, what are some of the basic tenets or concepts that is important for maybe particularly yeah. practitioners to know? Yeah, so I guess when you think about learning design, people who've been working in the area of learning design uh, look at it in terms of um, both a process, so the process that a university teacher or an instructional designer engages in to construct what would be a learning experience for a student. Um, so there's not necessarily a particular model that people are looking mm -hmm. at using in terms of learning design, but it's it's about how do you bring all the important elements together, the learning activities, the resources or contents that's going to support students engaging in those at, um, activities and ultimately the assessment, sometimes the assessment piece gets a little bit lost in learning design, but that's an, an important element. So mm. it's kind of the process that uh, a teacher or an instructional designer or a team of people go through to uh, put together a learning experience uh, for a student. And then in the field of learning design, we also see learning design as a, a product. So once um, one, of, one of those um, sequences of learning is established, how can those ideas be shared with other people so they can be taken up in other contexts? So part of this draws on some of the other work that you've done around this idea that um, teachers are really engaged in a kind of intuitive design process. Can you tell us a bit more about what you found in regards to that? Yeah, so I guess one, one of the things uh, my team um, who I work with in learning design, uh, Sue Bennett and Shirley Agostino, um, we're looking at is that a lot of learning design has emerged, a lot of the work around learning design has been merged to help teachers and instructional designers create things. Um, what we were interested in is understanding exactly what teachers do now um, uh, in their usual practices but, um, so that we can find ways of 
ways of helping them design. So basically we've been finding that it is an intuitive process. People don't necessarily, um, I guess, articulate or consciously think about how they go about the process of designing those, those experiences for the students. People engage in it in different ways. They have different starting points um, sometimes. Uh, University teachers start from an, a learning outcomes-based model. Sometimes they start with a content or topic-based model. Essentially, the, it tends to be an iterative process. People either start with something that's really quite specific, such as con, uh, topics, but then they might, might move to something that's more broad, or they, they brought, start with the broad and, and move to the specifics. But it's an iterative process before the university session starts and sometimes throughout throughout the session depending on how much uh, room teachers have to sort of manipulate or edit edit what they're doing um, in any particular session. So do you think this relates to this this notion of a kind of tacit knowledge where they're drawing on something intuitively that you know from their own experiences and and they just kind of feel their way through it over time is that the sort of thing that you well, some of it is tacit in terms of they are drawing upon, they, they do say they draw upon their previous experience, their previous experience of themselves as a learner, their previous experiences with other students either teaching the same subjects previously or, or teaching other kinds of subjects. So they certainly draw on that experience and they might make a conscious effort to engage in reflection or evaluation about that, but it's sort of something that they're thinking about all the time. University teachers also um, engage in, in a lot of um, discussion with others, so you know other other colleagues, which may not be their colleagues that they team teach with or have any kind of specific teaching responsibility, but the in, their interest in terms of knowing how their colleagues, who for example might be research colleagues, teach their subjects, is something that uh, lecturers tell us that they they talk about. You said the process was uh, was inherently within teachers and they don't always make it explicit. So how in your research have you been able to detect the patterns of learning design? And also, do you think it should be implicit or do you think teachers should do more to sort of bring it out and really actively and openly talk about what their learning design is? Yeah, look, I think that, I think it is in a person's general practice for it to be more implicit but the structures I guess in the universities kind of allow us to bring that out a little bit more so you know we're increasingly seeing team teaching in universities we're increasingly seeing for better or worse large classes which require you might have a lecturer in charge but they might be responsible for many many tutors um, who are involved and somehow their intentions for the subject their their design intentions need to be made explicit so, somehow in order for um, teaching assistants, uh, guest lecturers, whoever is involved to understand what, what really is the intended purpose of a particular subject and what is that, that pedagogical plan for, for that subject. So, uh, so those kinds of structures in universities, the opportunities that are available through teaching development and, and uh, support units in the universities make it possible for that to become more, more explicit. And there's lots of resources that are just generally available. Um, you know, in this chapter, uh, we talk about a, a range of projects that have developed over time internationally that have either made tools available for teachers to help them with their design or resources like repositories that give you examples of best practice. And 
in our research with teachers, they do talk about using those kinds of resources if they know about them. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, guess, I guess one of the things that's tricky about that and certainly something that, that I come across quite a bit is that when you think about design as a way of thinking about what you're doing, yeah. for a lot of people it's very different to yeah. think that way than yeah. what they're used to in their discipline. Yeah. So their discipline has a certain you know, way of thinking if it's science, that, that very kind of rigorous yeah. sort of scientific way of, right. of doing things. Um, so do you think that that's a, a particular issue with getting academics in particular on board with this in that the, the distance itself kind of creates a, yeah. a bit of a threshold where they need to be able to step out of their own way of thinking in their discipline and actually yeah. start to think, oh, okay, well, if I want to design this, I need to think about all of these elements and, and not necessarily think about it through the lens of my own disciplinary yeah. way of thinking. Yeah, so again, in this chapter, at the, at the end, we sort of talk about some relationships to other kinds of disciplines um, and other kinds of research fields. And one of the things that we've actually been... I guess focusing a, a framework of our research around is not less about learning design but rather about teaching design or teacher design thinking and so there's a lot when you when you actually look at teachers practice you see a lot of uh, relationships to concepts that are in design design thinking um, in terms of thinking about uh, a problem that needs to be solved and so, sometimes we don't think about creating a university subject as a problem, but in, in essence there's a particular set of outcomes that you want students to learn and that inherently is, is a problem to be solved and the different challenges that you might have in your con context as different elements to the, the, that, uh, that problem. And so notions of identifying a problem, drawing in a range of views about how people look at that problem and, and developing possible solutions through an iterative process is basically where some of the tenets of design thinking. And actually that's really quite close to what teachers are kind of doing implicitly. Um, and so that may kind of be a way of still situating the educational experience within within the discipline because there is a particular discipline uh, a, you know a, a certain domain that, that the teachers are working in but um, seeing maybe a relationship to that design thinking uh, might be a way of teachers taking that step back and thinking about what what are they trying to do here what are they trying to do that might be might be a little bit different and and um, recognize the context of the situation that they're in at any particular time within their university. Mm. Mm. I guess one of the other barriers when we think about this sort of thing is that if they are thinking about it as a problem, <laughs> I guess there's some reluctance in some cases to want to try something new because there's always this sense that, oh, I don't know what's going to happen to my student evaluations yeah. if it doesn't work the way I expect it to. Yeah. Um, is that something that you think that, that a particular design approach is going to help with being able to alleviate that to an extent? Or is that that kind of side of it, something more that is treating the evaluation aspect of it, sort of separately removing that from the equation. So what I mean is, do you, do you see the design thinking as specifically including that evaluation and, and sort of alleviating some of these issues around what students might think? Well, inherently design thinking includes an evaluation component, and I guess it's really up to the teacher, the university lecturer, the working with or without an instructional designer to think about to what extent of a problem one wants to define at any one time. So it doesn't necessarily mean having to redesign an entire subject. Uh, it might be taking a particular aspect of something that isn't, hasn't been working well and trying, trying something new in that. 
Um, so it's not necessarily throwing everything away. Um, and that's sort of that sort of iterative concept that's, mm-hmm. uh, that I think people, as I say, already engage in by sort of design thinking approaches that allow um, for that to happen. Yeah. yeah. So it sort of reminds me of one of those ideas that you say quite often is that, oh, flip classes. So yeah. we should just go back and change everything now and it should all be flipped, whereas yeah. it might actually make more sense to do it a little bit at a time Slip through an interview week, process. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I, th- I think that's it is, is that uh, it... Uh, Anything that we do in terms of innovating in, in higher education, and innovation means different things to different people, and what might, might be an innovation in one particular sub, subject could be just trying something that's a little bit different in one aspect of it before rolling it out to the entire subject or the entire course. And maybe that's not going to work. Roll it, it doesn't might not necessarily fit for the whole, whole thing, but adds something for a particular component. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me like learning design is sort of a platform that then is impacted by a couple different trends. You talk a lot in your um, in your handbook about technology, and so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the relationship between learning design and technology, but nowadays there's also a big push for student participation and student co-design. Yeah. So is there have you noticed that learning design has been impacted a lot by that trend as well? Well, it should be. Um, so, I mean, uh, to the extent that it is... Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure how widespread it is, but it certainly gives a platform for that. The reality is, is when learning design emerged from the field, uh, as a field, it was really about um, uh, tools and processes to help uh, university teachers, instructional designers design. There wasn't necessarily um, as much of recognition um, of students being active participants in that process. Although, as I said, in our research, when we talk to university teachers, they say certainly feedback from students, whether it's the formal feedback through evaluations or those anecdotal um, responses that they get throughout a, throughout a university term or at the end of class, certainly went into their thinking about their de- design and redesign. Um, but, I, but certainly learning design creates a platform for uh, much more student involvement and then when you link learning design to design thinking design thinking certainly does uh, have a key element around bringing in the range of stakeholders who who inform the problem and obviously students are the, the first line of, of that yeah so sort of taking a, a different kind of um, tack on some of this stuff now um, some of the work that you've been doing that we've, we've both been involved mm-hmm. in is around the, the science of learning and trying to understand you know, more fundamental kind of learning processes. Do you think that design is a really key way that we can take some of that sort of evidence that's occurring at a kind of different level than we might think of when we're you know, in the classroom teaching and translating that to that, that sort of context? Is there a way that we could potentially think about design thinking as a means of bridging that gap? Yeah, well, I think that... Uh sort of some of the fundamental things that we're learning through science of learning in, ter- in terms of that bringing together of sort of brain functioning, cognitive science, education, if we're bringing some of the fundamental learnings out of that, we can develop a certain uh, level of heuristics or principles that should be able to inform teachers in terms of their design. Um, it's still important to, for teachers to think through what 
is the context and what is the uh, the learning focus that they want to take, but that's should be an evidence base that teachers are going to draw on. So I mean, I guess I kind of see it as a bringing together of a number of fields that teachers that can inform university teachers in terms of their design. So not only some of the fundamental that learning that we have out of science of learning, but some of the uh, understandings that we have out of student behavior and interaction out of learning analytics, for instance. So that just creates a, a range of ed evidence for teachers in order to help in inform them in the design. And I think it's, it's up to the university teachers, though, to decide what elements of those of that evidence do they want? Do they want to? Can they draw in at any one time? I mean, it's kind of a lot of information uh, to digest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I guess we can't really rely on them if we're going to take out a scan or you know an EEG study or something yeah. and say, look, here you go. You need, you should do all of these things yeah. differently now. Yeah. For them to be able to just pick that up and say, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, from a science of learning perspective, that's the kind of thing where it's important for people researching in that area to work closely with edu educators to try to think about what are these findings, what does that actually mean in terms of real world learning, how, how can this can be applied, but then there's another step in terms of that actual application to the, to the classroom. So yeah. do, you, do you think that these two things, and learning analytics I guess we could mm. probably put into this basket as well, do you think that they're really changing the way that we think about higher education as a discipline, I guess? Do, do you think that we're now moving from a paradigm where you know higher education was traditionally sort of set in this um, phenomenographic type of paradigm. Is this a, a sort of harbinger of a kind of radical shift to the way that we're thinking about what we do in practice in higher ed, or is it just a, a kind of transition stage or something like that? What's your sense of that? Um, well, I generally think there's no radical shift that ever happens so quickly that we <laughs> we see uh, we see it uh, we turn around one day it's there. So I mean I think to my mind it uh, all of these different elements help inform us both from a I guess a policy perspective in higher education because um, we can think about we can think about learning differently and we can think about um, how we create the ecosystem for students and everybody who's involved with students um, in a higher education in the higher education system uh, differently and then at a implementation or a practice level uh, all of these things help inform people in terms of what that means for them in the different role they play in that, that kind of ecosystem so certainly certainly has to be different it certainly has to be changed changed because it's it's elements that we haven't necessarily had access to or thought about thought about before whether that change is radical and how quickly it changes is i guess up for us to work out mm. so yeah. so of those factors that you're saying yeah. are impacting on what we're doing what do you think of those are the the sort of most critical ones in relation to learning design i mean is it is it the fact that you know students are expecting more active kind of learning experiences when they're on campus because information's freely available or is there, do you think there are other sort of um, factors that are really impacting on the way that we need to think about how we design what we're doing? Is it just a technology driven thing or is it, are there Oh, more? I don't know, I don't think it's a technology driven thing at all. I think there's so, because there's so many multiple factors, I think that that's where um, there is uh, a significant role for the, um, 
the expertise of the university teacher in terms of um, being able to make some good decisions and bring in um, all that range of information uh, about what what's what they can make available for their students. I mean I think every every university context is different. The nature of the student makeup in a in a particular university is diff- different. The particular particular courses are different. We're changing our courses so rapidly now. Um, university teachers are expert in their domain and that is a you know changing uh, situation uh, on on a continual basis the technology we have access to and that technology that we might think our students need to experience uh, for their future career is different so I think um, so I guess I don't think that there's one um, key element that's going to make the difference I think the issue for university teachers is having awareness of those different elements and having uh, a certain level of uh, scope to bring those elements in. Mm. I, I, I like the way that you talk about it in terms of decision making. I think that's, mm. I think that's a really useful way of, of considering the sorts of things that we're needing to do when we've mm. got all these factors impacting outside. One of the things I've always wondered is whether or not um, our academic colleagues are always in the best position to be able to make those decisions given that a lot of them, you know, I'm, I was like this when I first started as well, get very little exposure to, to pedagogical theory or, or anything related to, um, you know, that educational way of thinking. Do you, what, what do you think would be the best way to kind of deliver a, a PD that would allow people to be able to think more carefully about those, those kinds of decisions? Because I guess it's a very tricky thing to get people in a position where they can make those decisions in an informed way, but don't have to do yeah. you know, a master's degree in education. Yeah. There's, a, there's a tricky balance there, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I think, uh, that, and that's where we've been playing a little bit with a bit of that sort of design thinking model and trying to think about what that might look like in an education setting. Um, because it's almost setting up a framework for university teachers in sort of how, how to think about the design how to think about the different elements that they might want to bring in and where to go to understand more if they, if they identified the need to understand more of a particular particular element or um, have, a, have a certain interest in understanding more. I mean, I think that that's the issue because there's no silver bullet when it comes to professional development. And we know from our research that... Uh, Teach, university teachers get their ideas and get their development in different ways and so there's no particular workshop that's going to do it for them because sometimes they don't even engage in those kinds of kinds of activities so I think more it's more about um, sort of helping them with a framework of, of design thinking and how do, how do they access the different elements that they might need at any particular time um, and sometimes that's that might be about getting people to actually help support them in particular design um, aspects, which is obviously resource intensive and not always available, but sometimes it's better to have someone else do a certain aspect of design than, than do it yourself. But the reality is the university teacher knows knows their students and knows their domain, so that those are the sort of kind of key components.
Yeah. yeah. So, and that I guess brings up this notion of this kind of third space professional, mm. these people who sort yep. of help with some of that that yep. learning design aspect of, of what's going on. And that's always seems to me to be quite a tricky balance to figure out. You know, where the subject matter expert is the you know the, the researcher and academic in that area, yep. and learning designers kind of overlap because we're increasingly seeing people within universities who have those sorts of roles. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in the main in Australian universities, we are uh, teaching universities in that the academics are involved in the teaching. It's, there's fewer, there's uh, not a lot of distance-only universities in Australia. There are certainly components of universities that do have a significant distance, uh, di distance course, or they might have a particular distance arm, um, or, or online-only arm. Um, but I think, uh, uh, I guess that's where you're, you're, you're going in terms of the, kind of the design team and, and where, where possible and resources allow that uh, an instructional designer or a learning designer can work with the university academic to, to do that. But that's, you know, again, not always, not always possible from a resource point of view. Yeah, when you say when resources allow, I mean, I'm thinking to my own experience now, but I think we're in a context now in Australia where increasingly the lectures and the tutorials, of course, are taught not by academics. Yep. They're taught by PhD students or yeah. master's students or, you know, these career tutors as well. That's right, yeah. And, and so it's sort of we're at a juxtaposition of, you know, we all know that learning design is important and we think we should integrate it, yep. but we're getting less experienced teachers yep. um, or teachers who sort of have this, you know, very intense schedule of trying to climb the academic ladder while also trying to essentially check the boxes on their teaching. Sure. And so I just, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what you think the future of learning design will mm. be. Do you think it will continue to grow or, or do you think it's sort of in a hard, between a hard place and a rock right now? Yeah. Um, well, in terms of learning design, learning and design is a practice, I guess. Mm. Uh, we'll always have to continue in some way. Uh, you know, I, I don't think in my lifetime I'm going to see a... Uh, university structure that does it doesn't have some kind of evolving uh, educational experience for students that university teachers and learning designers for example aren't involved in creating that evolving experience so I think as a practice um, you know just the concept that um, people are involved in putting together uh, a design for an educational experience for students will stop um, that would probably mean we'd go to some level of university education that are prepackaged modules that mm -hmm. are basically digital page turning with multiple choice quizzes in the end, and I don't think we're going to that kind mm -hmm. of kind of future. Um, so learning design will continue, I would think. I think it's uh, I think it is difficult because, uh, as you say, a lot of different people are in involved in the delivery of subjects at university and the room we make for people to actually be involved in the design okay, um, is very limited so there would be a raft of tutors, um, uh, lecturers who come in and do their thing in a subject mm. and may or may not have been clearly communicated to about what the person who designed the mm. subject 
intended for it um, or mm -hmm. what is their specific role maybe and so mm -hmm. that's problematic and we, we probably you know that's that's probably been a conversation that we've been having for many many years now about the scope of work and workload that people are involved in, in mm -hmm. teaching to be able to not only contribute to design but actually understand the design that they're supposed to be delivering. Mm -hmm. So that so that is a problem that I think that we continually have to work through. But am I correct in, in thinking that I'm new to the learning design uh, field myself? Am I correct in thinking that learning design does lead to better outcomes? I mean, is it worth it? Is the initial cost worth it for teachers in the long run? Well, I mean, if learning design is a process of um, thinking through uh, either a theoretically based or mm -hmm. empirically based sound way of structuring the activities that you engage students in, the resources that support them undertaking those activities, and the way you assess the students in terms of meeting the learning outcomes um, for the subject. If that's what learning design is, it means it's a thoughtful process, um, which many people have evidence that they're going through that process has led to better learning outcomes for students. So certainly a um, certainly worth it to whatever extent the teachers decided to engage in. Yeah, I, I guess the the way to think about it for me is that. You know, we've got all of these practices that are going on. How could making them explicit lead to anything worse? Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> you know, you so know. Um, yeah. one thing that strikes me that's sort of related to that is that I, I found with myself that when I first started teaching, and I, I sort of intuitively designed these things, but I was very structured in what I because I wasn't very confident and wasn't yep. very experienced. Yep. So the the sorts of things, and I did actually write them down, although I didn't realise at the time that it was really a kind of learning design thing yeah. that I was doing but it was like I want to spend five minutes on this and I want to spend three minutes on this and yeah. two minutes on this and it was down to that really fine sure. level of detail and what I've found over time is that I've, as, as I've got a bit more experience as a teacher I find that really too constraining yeah. now yeah. is this something that you see when you talk to people about well that's the classic expert novice difference right and so it's, we see that with um, a lot of the research we're doing at the moment is with school teachers and, not, and we've looked at that less with university teachers but that's the classic when we look at um, early career school teachers, that's what they're, they're thinking down to the lesson level. Um, so in a school, you know, you're th thinking down to the half hour, an hour level. Um, and that's kind of a starting point is the lesson rather than the bigger picture of, in, in for example, primary school, tw 12 weeks. And same, same thing within a university situation. You're thinking about that, that one hour class time rather than what do you want from out of the whole subject so that's classic novice or early career teachers school teachers do that expert or experienced school teachers they start with big picture learning outcomes what do they want for this unit or subject for their students for the whole thing and then they drill down to the more specifics but they may never an, an, an experienced teacher may never get to the stage where they're planning out, planning down to the 10 minute very unlikely likely so so that's classic and I think university so that's it's an interesting thing that even school teachers who go through a program to learn to be teachers where university teachers don't experience those kind of same behaviors um, or same practices when they are, are preparing for their teaching um, it's, you know certainly um, 
some of, some of, some of the, the work we've done to try to tease out differences in, in university teachers is looking for those kinds of the same practices. But it also shows that you can do learning design at different levels. So if you're not, you know, if you're, um, if you're a tutor and you only have access to those hours that you have, you can think explicitly about what you want to get out of that session and how you want to structure, structure that so you can design that for yourself whereas you might not have control of a whole subject as a tutor. So I think that's that sort of, not only is it an iterative design process when you're designing any one thing, but it's also sort of iterative design thinking over the course of your career. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, which I guess is not something that, only because I've had to reflect on this a lot because I'm helping other people to understand yeah. their own yeah. design processes that I actually thought back and realized that I'd kind of taken that yeah. trajectory myself so it was kind of an interesting thing because then I thought about when I started to learn about learning design it, it then pushed me to step backwards and think more carefully and more explicitly about the things that I was doing yeah. and then I sort of realized oh that's probably why that doesn't work and that's probably why that doesn't work so yeah. the process of being exposed to it I, I guess I was sort of on that trajectory yeah. but then hit this kind of idea these ideas around learning design and, and it sort of pulled yeah. me out of the situation because I guess we get so immersed in oh you know what resources do I have and oh, I've got 2,000 students right. next semester yeah, you know exactly. and it's not very often you sort of take that step outside and go oh right so that's why that might not really be working very yeah. well if I think about it systematically that seems to be the problem there and then oh I can start to think about a way I might deal with it. So when learning design first evolved as a field it was around creating these examples or exemplars of practice right so that people could take up because if you're for example a novice you don't necessarily have those examples of practice so in essence, they're cases, right? So they're cases of practice. You know, an expert, someone who's been teaching for a while, they have those cases in their head, so a case-based reasoning kind of model. Um, but one of the, um, I guess, challenges for a learning design point of view is we might have all these documented examples of learning designs in, in repositories, but someone who's new to teaching has to find a way of being able to look at an example and do all those things around thinking about it. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my subject? What does it mean for my, my students? Um, and so there, you either need someone to help you mediate that who has a little bit more experience, which might be a learning designer, or you, know, you need to come at that yourself through practice, um, through practice and, and trying to even take the little bits of experience you might have from a few tutorials here and there to what's that going to mean for you now that you might be responsible for designing a whole whole subject. So is that is that similar to that idea of, so there's the pedagogical patterns and then the kind of pattern languages, is that yeah. the sort of thing that you're, you're talking about? Yeah, so so there's all kinds of, and in the, in the chapter uh, I use uh, some kinds of examples. The term learning design or a design um, came out of some, uh, a range of, of works over time that were in repositories, but patterns or pattern language, the same kind of thing. Some way of documenting an example of practice. Uh, usually, and, and they're done in different ways. Um, they all have some kind of sort of formula to them, which could be uh, uh, you know, certain, certain information that is categorized in them, which would, could be text, which could be some kind of visual uh, diagram that helps show the the flow of activities and resources. Which it, is sort of like the resources that were developed as part of that project you were involved in at Wollongong. Yeah, that visual that's right. representation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
It sounds like to me in the patterns though a lot of the first um, task for teachers to do is to identify the pain points and then to design from there. Yeah. And unfortunately going back to what we talked about earlier it seems like so much of the professional development that is offered is starting with the technology. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And right. And so yeah. right so teachers sort of have to connect the two yeah. and almost probably waste some time do finding other solutions to things that really wouldn't solve their problems. Yeah, so go back back to the question that Jason asked a little while ago, what's the best PD? Well, the best PD might be getting getting teachers to actually articulate what 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 is their problem, what do they need to do? So that's what I was saying, sort of have a, a design thinking framework um, that you can either use sitting in a workshop, sitting with a learning designer, or sitting by yourself at your desk, or sitting with your teaching team, mm -hmm. And that's starting with a, starting with the process. What are we trying to do here? What what are the pain points? What's the mm. problem that we're trying to solve? And and working through that, and then working out well, what's what's the technology, or is there a technology, or do we mm. need to even worry about the technology that mm. is going to help us here? So I guess the, the one thing that we should touch on um, before we finish up is the, the relationship between learning analytics and learning design because yep. you, know, you mentioned that in the chapter and yep. obviously you've done some other work in that area. Yep. Where do you think we are with that, that connecting those two things up? Where, where have we got to with that? Yeah, well the biggest challenge for all, all learning al analytics is uh, the various systems that uh, we our data sits in in universities and how we can make give good access and meaningful access to that information to teachers um, I mean we so that it can help inform their design um, so there's been excellent projects that have tried to create tools um, to bring those analytics in to help to help inform the, the design so I think we've got a good lot of good conceptual models and I think we have a lot of good um, pilots or tester in terms of tools in there. The key is that, just as we talked about before, um, teachers make use of their kind of undocumented uh, or unevidence-based experiences with students in the past, how, how students performed in past instances of a particular subject. Um, they may have some um, uh, behavior learning behavior activities during a during a, a session being able to d deliver to them I think the key is um, sort of a uh, delivering those kinds of analytics to teachers in an, uh, an easy easy to access easy to read way pre-session during session post-session things that bring together current student activity but also past uh, student cohort activity so I think we've got lots of good conceptual ideas about that we've got some proof of concept tools um, I think we could um, so I think we're we're on the way it's just um, where the data sits in universities and how we pull all the right data together and, and make that kind of seamless because it can't be something that teachers have to go searching for because it's just something it's just one of those things if it's a another element that is hard, too hard to access. Um, as we talked about before, all the other information they need to access is, is kind of drop off. But it should be something that we can deliver quite, quite easily. I guess the interesting assumption there is that there is still the teacher yeah. that's mediating the relationship yeah. between the, the data and, yeah. and how that's then you yeah. know, implemented with the yeah. students. 
So, I mean, is this is this the kind of complexity that we're always going to be dealing with in terms of being able to, to take something that's very data-driven and actually do something meaningful with it? Or do you think that there are elements of that that we could potentially think about automating? Or well, in an balance? AI world, we should be able to automate some kind of personalised learning experience for students, right? So I, I would argue, as someone who um, values the, the judgement of teachers, values the judgement of educators, I would argue that the teacher needs to be part of the process of defining the pathways, but presumably with um, key elements of the learning experience, we should be able to ha uh, design sets of activities, sets of resources that students have access to um, use when they can, um, and their pathway through those sets of activities and resources is kind of filtered and personalized for them based on things like prior knowledge based on um, their attainment of certain certain um, outcomes through to the ne uh, next thing. So I think in, a, in an ideal world in, in universities that, that will happen, not in absence of other kinds of learning experiences, um, but we certainly should be able to do that. Which is not going to be replaced by robots just yet though. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's sort of nice that what you're saying is that the the more we sort of structure our learning design and think about and carefully consider the learning analytics and the technology and so forth, that it actually will allow for more flexibility in the end, mm -hmm. both for teachers and students and for institutions to deliver their courses and so on. I so, think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it should give us uh, more opportunities rather than less. All right, that's probably a really good point to um, end on. So thank you, Laurie. I think that was a that was a really good discussion. Thank so. you.